Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 201. So this is how Liberty dies. Recorded August 16th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and joining me this week are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line godfather, Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Good afternoon, everybody, or morning, whenever you're listening to this. Welcome to the show. And welcome, everyone, to another fine episode of the Everyday Linux podcast. So if you think the title sounds a little familiar, it's because you've seen uh, episode uh, Star Wars Episode 3, and I'm sorry, um, but that's a line in there that Queen Amidala utters. So this is how Liberty dies, with thunderous applause. And the topic tonight is going to be about, uh, are we voluntarily giving up our internet liberty? So last week, I uh, opined about the benefits of sharing. So this week, we're going to talk about how you should never share anything because it's dangerous. Not it's really bad. They okay. Go together. <laughs> so, guys, uh, Chris, I know that you have some new and exciting news to share with us. Tell us about that. Yes. So, as of Friday before recording, I signed my life away for a thirty-year mortgage on a brand new house. Well, not brand new to me, but brand or brand new to me, but not brand new to the world. Um, it's a nice nineteen-fifties home that we just purchased. So. We're, so the last, uh, well, since Friday, we've been cleaning, painting, painting. Did I mention painting? Was there some painting that you did? It's just a little bit, you know. I think. So, uh, Chris, was there anything besides cleaning? I couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, is uh, I didn't realize how expensive it was going to be to repaint my house. At least the stuff that we, the little stuff that we're planning on painting, until we went to the paint store today, and yeah, uh, that was. Seven hundred plus dollars of paint. So the stuff's not cheap. No, it's not. And I don't buy cheap paint. So yeah, it was. I'm glad we're not doing everything that we were planning on doing because otherwise, I think I'd be broke and pining for more money. Going pennies for the poor. When we left um, uh, Texas and moved here to Atlanta, we uh, left our house and spent about thirty five thousand dollars doing all the stuff that we didn't do while we lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, only to fix it up and not be able to sell it. So I feel your pain. So you still own your house back home? Or I do. Back there? Oh. Yeah, Renting would, or just it, letting it, it is. There are renters in it right now, um, oh. and thanks to that, I'm only losing a little money every month instead of yeah. losing a lot of money every month. I can't rent it for a profit. The market just won't bear it. Right. And I can't sell it for what I owe on it. The market won't bear that. So I've just got to wait for the market to stop being stupid. Yeah, that sounds like my area too. We just finally made it to a point where it's not upside down for everybody. So it works. Yes, I bought the house. It wasn't even at a top dollar uh, market. I got a, a, a good deal, not a great deal, but a, a decent deal. And it's not an expensive house. I, it was under $100,000. Um, so it's not a, you know, not a palatious house, but uh, in the last five years, um, the mar- the value has plummeted to less than what I owe on it, uh, and I've been making payments on it for almost 15 years. So not only did that equity go away, but I'm actually like 60% underwater now because the market is just stupid. This, right. This house that I paid, you know, 
close to a hundred thousand for is now worth like forty thousand, and that's just dumb. Ouch! That is wow. a pain. That that one. I bet you that kind of hurt when you're looking over those price tags. But you know, there's nothing you could do about it. It is what it is, and, right? And and you just should wait it out. Um, and for a for a long time, uh, nine months, I didn't have a renter, so that was terrible. I was paying rent here and mortgage there, and just hemorrhaging money left and right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, we've got it rented now, so the uh, now it's just a small trickle. Um, and you know, if if I can if I can do that. I don't mind hanging on to it for 10 years. It's an investment. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the tricky thing and where I live, it's a college town and you can't always guarantee a renter. So if there's another year without a renter, I have to dump it uh, mm-hmm. no matter what the loss. So that's right. that's going to be painful. Well, let's hope it never turns right. out that way. Yeah. It would really suck to sell your house and still have a, car, a house payment on it. You know. Yeah. That would be a pain. But you would at least, you know, have a good chunk of the money you're already taken care of. So one would hope, you know, my, yeah. my plan was to, to sell it at, 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 to pull my equity out, not, not really sell it as a profit, but pull my equity out and use that equity on a down payment for here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But no, no, no uh, sorry. That's the whining portion of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig, congratulations on homeownership. When yes. do you move in? Probably a month. Um, the, well, the wife is thinking she wants to try and move in. In the next two weeks ish. Oh, so it's vacant now. You yeah. you have possessed the property. Yeah. Well, we we got keys Friday, and we will. Uh, the funding for the loan it all goes permanent as of Tuesday. So, as far as everyone, as far as anyone's concerned, we are homeowners. Okay. Cool. And and that's the neat thing. So you can spend a, a week moving, and you don't have to have a big everything has to happen in four hours move yep pretty much that's why we're doing it the way we're doing it we want to be able to go all right we're going to move you know and the, until we move the beds we're still right. living in the rental how far uh, is it uh, maybe a couple miles yeah see that's perfect when you do like you i did and move 900 miles there's no option of multiple trips right you load everything up and if you left it behind it's left behind and that's what happened to the people that we bought it from uh, they left behind lots of stuff. I mean, there's a, a couple of, t- I think there's a tiller for the little garden area they had. I mean, just stuff that you wouldn't think that people would leave behind, you know, a bed. Well, you make that mental <laughs> calculation. You pay by the pound when you're moving stuff. And so you got to right. decide, is it worth moving this or can I buy another one when I get there? Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. so, yeah, I got left with a lot of stuff I'm going to end up hauling to the dump. But well, or breaking it up and... Yeah. and some of the stuff isn't worth even Craig's listing. I mean, it's like destroyed lumber and what looked like he was trying to build a a headboard or something, and it just is a monstrosity. And I'm like, okay, that's it's finished, so I can't use it as firewood, but uh, we'll at least make it to the dump. <laughs> Does anybody go eBay anymore, or is it just straight up Craigslist now? I st- I-, I still look for stuff on eBay, but um eBay or Craigslist if you want to sell something, Facebook if you want to buy it cheap. <laughs> yeah. I do a at, lot of at least that's the way I do it. I buy a lot of books from eBay. That's where I go to buy paper books. See, I, I look at eBay if for things I want to ship, Craigslist for things I want to drive and pick up. There you go. Um, that's kind of my delineation. And I still, you know, those are my my go-tos when I if if I don't care if it's new, you know, it's Craigslist and eBay all the way. Uh, mm-hmm. If I want it new, it's straight up Amazon. 
you know, it's it's faster to buy it on Amazon than to search for it on eBay. Sometimes. Right. You know, a lot of times with the books that I'm buying, they're out of print and been gone long gone for you know, years. So it's it's nice to be able to say, hey, someone's selling a lot of fifty books. I'll buy that. <laughs> so Seth, you have some news. Are you are you willing to share that news with us or you want to keep it quiet? Well, I mean, yeah, I um I start a job tomorrow, so I've got to get up early and go through traffic again. Ugh, the agony of having employment. Yeah, so that 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 shows you that you're employed when you can turn getting fired into a one week vacation. You know, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I was um, it's been almost a month since I lost my job, but with the severance and the vacation pay, basically, there's one week I didn't get paid, but I'm gonna collect unemployment for three weeks. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, you know, I might have ended up actually making money. <laughs> you profited getting fired. by that's, getting fired. That's interesting. <laughs> Seth, I think only you would be able to pull that trick. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it it um you just got to be good, I guess. So. My wife and I sort of did like that with our our children. We had some uh a regular health insurance and then a short-term disability that we took out and we ended up making like 300 bucks on each kid. Uh, when it all came down to it, so yeah, that works. Cool. I mean, not a lot, right? And they've certainly right. cost me thousands of times, well, hundreds of times more than that. Uh, over the last, uh, my oldest is almost thirteen years old. You know, that thirteen, that three hundred dollar bonus went away really quickly. But it's nice to to work things out. Of course, if you factor in what we've paid for the short term disability, it probably was a, a lost leader all the way around. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably. Insurance, their whole purpose is to take money and never give it out. I mean, that's that's their objective, and everybody knows it. Yet we still complain when they do it. Well, it's yeah, you're pretty much down and out that way, no matter how you work it. So, a uh, quick movie review. I saw yesterday. I uh, got it from Netflix. The Draft Day, Kevin Costner movie. Um, it's a uh, is it the football one? Yeah, the football one. I I did not expect anything from it at all. Um, because it had been, it had gotten really poor reviews and that's why it was just a, you know, whenever you get around to it, Netflix, send it to me. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. If you're into football and you're into, you know, the mechanics of, of draft day and all that, you're really going to enjoy it. Um, huh. it's, uh, they use real teams. It was an NFL license, but no real names. So the coaches' names were all made up and the player names were all made up, but it was obvious who they were talking about. Sure. If you, if you know, the games uh and so they imparted the personalities of the real people and some of them even looked like the real people um the way it was edited was was really uh clever in fact that was one of the things that i saw people complaining about because there was a lot of of side by side and and uh, images sliding back and forth and it was a it was a novel editing style almost comic book style with panels mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people complained about it but i really thought it was very good so huh. it's a it's a great saturday afternoon uh movie in my opinion draft day kevin costner check it out oh, there you go Cool. I'll have to look into that one. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to see it, but I just I hadn't got around to it yet. But a movie I've been wanting to see for a while and finally got around to, I had never watched all the way through from beginning to end Army of Darkness until Shame yesterday. So um, <laughs> it was an early 80s cheese movie, but the cheese holds up really well. And uh, it was it was enjoyable. Part of it, you could tell, um, you know, you could tell like, when it came out and how stuff would have been done differently today. But I, I, I enjoyed it and it is the kind of movie I would enjoy. Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, that one. Yes, yeah. that one. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't seen it either. That those kinds of movies just don't appeal to me. But uh, you know, I, I I understand that there's quite a following around the Bruce Campbell character that he built there. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's a good one. That's like the uh, that's the proto genesis of Bruce Campbell shtick right there. Um, it, he's basically played Ash in everything he's ever been in, <laughs> um, except uh, Burn Notice. He yep. was a little more subdued in Burn Notice. That's the series. Uh, yes, I didn't even make the connection. It was the same guy. I, I didn't watch Burn Notice either. Uh, well, the first couple of seasons of Burn Notice was really, really good TV, I thought. And mm-hmm. then they, they jumped the shark and kept adding more characters. And this, he was unburned and reburned. And then, yeah. I don't know, I think there was interdimensional rift or something in there <laughs> to try to keep it interesting. But, uh, I was talking with yeah. somebody today at church about the, the TV show Heroes. You know, it's, it's coming back, Heroes mm-hmm. Reborn. And right. uh, somebody, you know, the two of us were talking about it and a third person asked about it. And I said, you know, it was, it was several years ago, early to maybe 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. And the first season was really good. The second season was pretty good. And then the wheels began to fall off after that. And so because of that, I'm not sure I care about Heroes Reborn. Because if it's going to be the first season, oh, I'm all in. If mm-hmm, it's going right. to be the last season, I'm not interested. Yeah, you're you're standing out already. I don't. I'm curious to find out what it was. I wasn't a huge heroes. I'm gonna have to probably go back and rewatch it just to remember what it all happened, to know, or, you know, to figure out where everything, where all the pieces landed. Because I watched it, but it wasn't one that I, you know, I wasn't a jumping well, it, up and down it ended, over it. Spoiler alert with the with the cheerleader going public. That was how the series ended. Uh, you know, and so the heroes reborn seems to be taking on sort of an X Men kind of thing where they're they're public and they're outed and they're uh, they're hunted and so you've got the the special people and the special people hunters mm-hmm. uh, so it you know if they take that angle essentially playing straight off of the x-men uh storyline it could be really interesting uh but it all depends on the group of writers and, and the showrunners that you ha- that they have if they have somebody equal to the first uh season then it's going to be phenomenal because it's there's real there's a lot of meat to that story, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's the classic monster of the week uh, formulary that that made it fall apart. So at first you were just trying to figure out who there was one long story arc, and then it just fell into monster of the week. We go catch the bad guy, and you know, I mean, X Files did fine for like eleven seasons with with that, but that format really gets old really quickly. Yeah. Well, wasn't there like a writer strike in season two or three or something that kind of killed it? Um. I mean, you know, not just that, but a lot of that a lot of sh- Battlestar just- Galactica. I know that, but that was a different strike. Yeah, well, no, I mean, and they just they just hadn't been around long enough to have the stuff they could pull through to kind of develop, and so it kind of killed them. I there was some show that I was really into, but then there was a writer strike, and it um, it died an early death, and I was never into Heroes. So, Seth, I've been watching your social media posts that uh, you, you did your intro to Linux course, and you realized that you didn't really need an intro to Linux course because you've been doing this show for four years. <laughs> right. Well, no, I, um, I've i only done the first four lessons, and um, we're finally, the fourth one, we're actually getting into some of the actually using the Linux. You know, there's a couple of things I've, I'm picking up on. But, you know, yeah, the, the early courses are the the intro to the open source philosophy. I kind of think, yeah, I got this part nailed. And then, you know, actually installing. I mean, I don't believe, I don't understand how they made a whole chapter out of installing Linux. But, I mean, yeah, I've installed it a few times. And <laughs> what I'm doing is um, 
I've got my CentOS and my OpenSUSE uh, VMs up and going, and I've got the ISO for the version of Ubuntu they're using, and I'm basically doing all three of them just to kind of get the extra practice. And so now in Chapter 4, when they're actually getting in and actually doing stuff in there, you know, because that's, I mean, honestly, I, when I use Linux, I'm using Facebook or whatever, or, you know, just Internet Explorer, not Internet Explorer, but um, web browser. That's the word I'm looking for. Just using a web browser or, you know, typing something in LibreOffice. So there's not, I don't really never had to get under the hood to kind of support it. So it's kind of cool. And that's what I'm, uh, anyway, I'm, that's something I'm going to keep up with and see where it leads and cool. see what becomes of me and my Linux journey. I was uh, playing around with a new uh, hosting service uh, that I might be using, and uh, I got to flex my CentOS muscle. It's been a while. I've been on uh, Ubuntu derivatives for the last few years, and it was it was kind of nice to be at the command line and have to, to yum again instead <laughs> of apt-get again. See? So it was, uh, it was See? Nice. I told you. It's hard to get away from that yum when you get used to it. The DNF is just not the same. <laughs> I uh, I you know, I I grew up, so to speak, in the the Fedora, CentOS, uh, Red Hat world, and then made the leap to the Debian world, uh, and that's where I've been living for a while. But you know, my roots, my letter jacket is still hanging in the closet with with you know Red Hat hanging on it, so uh, <laughs> it's still there. It was it was a bit of an old home week for me. Well, that's good. What version of uh, what version of CentOS are you? Uh it was seven, the sixty four bit version. <laughs> Seven, you know, and that, that's one of the things, the, um, the intro to Linux course, one person actually pronounced it sent OS and then somebody else pronounced it CentOS. And I was like, um, pick one yeah. and pick one nomenclature and stick with that and we'll be gappy. I, I've always called it CentOS. Mm-hmm, me too. I don't know that that's right or wrong. It just sounds the best to me. Maybe they yeah. should come on the show and tell us. Yeah. <laughs> CentOS is really how it's written. Um, yep. Right. Community enterprise operating system, uh, CentOS, but it just—it's hard to say that CentOS flows much better. Yep. If that's not the name, it should be. Well, it's just like right. GIF and, and GIF. Yeah. Well, and there's Ubuntu, Ubuntu, Ubuntu. You know, there's 96 different ways to say that. And I still probably um, say it wrong. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, but that one—that's at least one where the the developers have weighed in on it. It's Ubuntu. You can mm-hmm. you can look at that. It's it's. Uh, the same ooh is in pool three times, um, mm-hmm. but people still insist on giving that you three or four different pronunciations within the same. I don't know how you do it when there's only three uh, three of them. Give it four pronunciations, but I've heard people do it. Well, that's yeah. just obviously you've at- forgotten how real Southerners talk <laughs> there in the Atlanta metropolitan area. It's so funny, it's true that people from Atlanta don't think Texans are Southern. People from Texas don't think Atlantans are Southern. Um, well, there's there's been such an influx of foreigners coming into Texas, and by foreigners, of course, I mean anybody not from Texas. That really a lot of the the Texicanness of uh, the state has been lost by the uh, swarm of refugees yeah. we picked up Texas. during the last recession. I mean, when you're in Texas, you really ought to speak Spanish like a true Texan, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, let's see what else. Anything else there, Chris? What is folding at home? And you're okay. Changing, I don't know what that is. Folding at home is a is an application for I don't know how to the best way of just describing it is it's like you're giving up some of your CPU cycles for um, 
for folding. No, it's like SETI at home. Yep, it's like SETI, but okay. folding at home is doing protein folding to try and find different cures for cancer or Perkins, the Perkins disease or things like that. Um, and I was just Park- getting par- Parkins. Parkinson? Yeah, Parkinson's disease. Okay. Um, but it, it, I was getting a really bad performance on my new, my fresh install, and I was like, well, this is ridiculous. I should be getting, you know, what I was getting before. You know, the only thing I changed is I moved my main OS to a solid state, so I should be getting better performance. And I don't know what it was that changed or where it changed. And honestly, I just didn't want to dig through it to find the fix. So I moved over to a different project called, I always call it Bionic, but I think it's wrong. But it's a, it's a different process where it, it is similar to folding and setting and SETI, but instead of just doing one particular task and that's all you're doing, it has a range of things that come down at you. So I'm using one called the, you have different projects you can attach to and then your, your idle time is then given to them and they do whatever they want with your, your idle time. The, the nice thing about the bionic or however you want to call it, um, process is that when you're attached to the world one, like right now, I just had it open here so I can tell you right now, my computer, when it's idle, will be working on clean energy, um, working on mapping cancer markers and uncovering the genome mysteries from the world community grid. So now that I, and I've been using this pro, the program, from it's uh, Berkeley, the Berkeley College's program to doing this, um, but they have a yes. client that'll work on pretty much every version of your computer that you can think of, from Linux, Windows, Mac, etc., Android. So I have it on my phone and on my computer because you hate battery life, apparently. Well, it only runs when you're when you're plugged in. Okay, and so. It's it's Boink B O I N C yeah. the Berkeley Open Infrastructure for Network Computing. There it is. So Boink, Boink. okay Boink bon, whatever Boink works Bionic works for me but yeah, Bionic sounds cooler. It right? does. But Boink sounds like uh, you know a a pickup line or something or a wrestler from WWF <laughs> reaching back oh, there WWE. Thank you. thank you for mentioning that. We completely let slip, and that's it's unacceptable for us to have done that. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the the man for uh, best known for the second best on screen fight scene ever in the world in the movie They Live, died a few weeks ago, and we yep. totally let that go. I'm I'm I I apologize to the the Rowdy family um, for our uh, being remiss in that, and uh, may the great one continue to fight on in bus car windows forever. No kidding. Chew bubble gum and kick expletive. Yeah. <laughs> He's all out of bubble gum. May he never run out of bubble gum. That's right. No, may he always be out of bubble gum. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on how you, which way you want it. Do you want him to always be kicking or do you want him to be chewing? <laughs> if if you have not seen They Live, stop the podcast. Yes. Go home from work and watch it right now. Quit your job. Yeah. Go home and watch it. It's that important to, ta- your, ta- to take, your life. Take a two-hour sick leave <laughs> and, and go see it because you'll be laughing so hard. By the end of it, you know, it'll be worth it. It'll be, it's good for your soul. Just do it. And there's good 80s boobs in there. So, you know, it's no, it's a little something for everybody. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that, and I had my son sit down and watch it. And I went, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sat down to watch the original Raiders of the Lost Ark 
uh, with my kids. And I, I remembered at the end, right, the melting faces part. Mm-hmm. I would have to, you know, hey, look over here. Um, but I totally forgot how really gross that movie was. Um, just, uh, you know, guys getting shot through the head and spikes sticking out of people and, and stuff. And, and we got maybe 10 minutes in. I was like, oh, all right. Sorry about that. Not appropriate for the six-year-old. Um, maybe <laughs> it is for your six-year-old. is not for my six-year-old. Well, every six-year-old's different, so. Right. I mean, and I think I saw it when I was about that age, eight, maybe nine. Um, and it did, uh, clearly didn't scar me for life because I didn't even remember it. Um, but, you know, I, as I've mentioned on the show many times, my children are very sensitive to human suffering. Um, mm-hmm. And so we have to be very careful about that because, A, it's not it's not right to torture them. And, B, frankly, I want them to maintain that sensitivity. I yeah. feel that society in general is too desensitized to human suffering. I want my children's heart to break when they see some, someone suffering. Um, and so I don't want to desensitize them to that. And, and you know, we watch uh, – we, we're just careful about what we watch. And, and I'm realizing that my old favorites – are really dark and violent sometimes. It's and kinda, I just didn't remember that. It's kind of crazy when you look at it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, who may made you what you are? You, the, the twisted self that you've become can right. be traced to watching those movies so young when you didn't have a filter. And I am, you know, fairly inured to human suffering. Um, and that's a, that's a failing of mine. And I, I would hope to not pass that on to my children. Okay, uh, moving on to listener feedback. Stuart asks about coffee and football. Well, what do you know? Those are two of my favorite things. Says, hi, all. So the new American football season, as opposed to the football season, uh, is upon us, and I'm looking forward to reinstituting my Sunday evening ritual of watching the games. I know you all have your own preferences for teams, and I'm looking for some advice on who I might follow. Being a Brit, I have no single allegiance to any given team, so I flip a coin at the beginning of the match and root for that team. It's not a match. It's a game. Uh, So what do you think? P.S. I was in the stadium when the Cowboys trashed the Jags in London. Um, cool. So, I obviously you've got to you got to watch the Cowboys because they're America's team and uh, it's American football. So you got to watch the Cowboys. I don't know about that, but, yeah, but I didn't say my, the Cowboys were going to win. Yeah, I said you got to watch them. I, okay, watch them and possibly watch them lose. But yes, you can watch them. <laughs> uh, I predict they will have more wins than losses this year. I, I think that there's a certain aspect to being a fan that you really can't grasp until you've backed consistently a losing team. Uh, Browns fans are bigger football fans than than Seattle fans, you know, uh, because they they know what it's like to lose for forty years straight. Um, yeah, yeah, Seattle only lost for what twenty years right. straight, so. Well, and it's it's funny because there 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 were dynasties, right? There were teams that were dominant for for mm-hmm. ten years or whatever. But there's not I can't think of a team that has just always been a winner. It's not like the New York uh, Yankees that just have owned the game for years. The, the football has been designed in such a way in America that it really can't happen, and I like that about it. Yeah, but you can have teams that always suck. The system does allow that. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm a, I can definitely vouch for that. My team has been. On the bottom of the barrel for all, more than more often than they're on the top. Let's the put it that Raiders. way. God. And now they're going to lose their home turf. Yeah, they wear the black in mourning, Chris. That's I know. Why. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've heard you could try. I've heard them all. Uh, you know, I've been a Raiders fan since like '83, so you can 
Sling sling the arrows all you want. You, you won't penetrate. <laughs> well, you got the a skin. Super Bowl out of them then. Well, so yeah, like I said, I got one. I got two. Yeah, I think there's two Super Bowls that I can remember. One recently, more recent than the other, but yeah, I, but they won one of them. Yeah, so and it, they did. At least you're not the Bills who went to the Super Bowl four years in a row and lost all four times. That's the worst. That is there. being being the 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 fat girl at the prom four years in a row, or the whipping the the you know kicking boy. Yeah, you know, they probably could have beat any team other than an NFC East team. Right, exactly. So. All right, picking up with Stewart's mail, it says, Also, I've not gotten to listen for the past few weeks, and I wonder how Mark's shop vac cold brew coffee is going. Also, have you published the plans yet? Um, you know, I'm I'm generally a lot of talk and a little uh, actual production uh, in most <laughs> of my life. Uh, uh, I am making coffee now on a regular basis for my family at a rate of three to four gallons at a time. It lasts us about a month. So I do it once a month and then don't think about it again. Uh, I Uh did promise to publish the things, and I I still do intend to get around to that eventually. Um, But I I did detail it on in pretty significant detail uh, in one of the shows uh, a while back. So it's it's pretty simple. You you put a hole in a bucket, put a shower drain in the bottom of the bucket, fill it with sand and gravel and a coffee filter, dump coffee in it, suck it until it's dry. You know, uh, but you were like commercially cleaned sand and gravel, right? right I just don't yeah. don't go out like to the side of the road somewhere and pick up some sand and gravel. Well, you could Might not so, be good. If you so sanitize. You it. can buy gravel. In fact, you, most play sand that you buy, at, like Home Depot, will say um, certified organic, uh, non-organic material. So essentially, all they do is they go and grab sand and they bake it, and the baking kills the bacteria, and boom, you have sterile sand. If you don't trust it, put it in a pan and bake it yourself. Yep. It kind of stinks when you do that, so be warned. Go outside. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you can, uh, you know, throw it in your, I wouldn't say your grill. You don't want uh, smoke because that would really impart an unpleasant flavor to your coffee. Uh, but if if you don't trust it, if you, if you don't trust buying sterile food-grade sand, which you can do, I mean, just Google food-grade sand, food-grade ga- gravel, um, you can bake it yourself and make it sterile. Um and the 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 suction mechanism is the tricky part. And what I what I'm using right now, uh, I, I've told about it before, is a corny keg. It's a soda keg that you would see mm-hmm. at any restaurant, and it's got a an intake and an outtake. And I put the suction on the intake side, and I put the the hose coming from the the bucket on the intake side, and so it pulls the water through the coffee through, and, and gravity keeps it from being sucked up into the shop vac. So there's there's a quick primer on how to do it and and you know i'll send you i can write out actual details if you ask me but uh i i just understand that i'm a lot of talk and no action yeah <laughs> i admit that i don't know how many times Sorry. he's promised to send me some and i still have yet to hey i did go so far as to ask your address once you did so give me some credit for i that. will give you at least that much you you did ask for my address which so here in a couple of weeks is gonna be null and void yeah, because i'm moving to Send me your new address. I have shipped a few samples to people. the 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 issue is sending it is Expensive. difficult because uh, it's a liquid and it needs to be refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that, I've done it a couple of times, and and it's expensive and and difficult to do. 
in terms of finding i mean I, i'm i'm sure i could get some specially made products or find specially made products for say a you know a liter bottle but if i'm just wanting to throw some in a mason jar and ship it um it's it's actually proving more difficult to do than i had thought so that's why chris i haven't sent you any, I know. that and i'm a lot of talk and no action well i kind of figured it was the trying to find a way to get it up here in a timely manner without it spoiling in the mail yeah and, and it doesn't just like go rancid but it's I, if you let it warm up for even a little while, it does lose a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also discovered, say, as I've started storing it longer, you know, at first I was making small batches to just like to last a week or two. Then I started making larger batches. Uh, the The coffee a month later doesn't taste nearly as good as the coffee I first make, even though it's, you know, refrigerated and sealed. I think the problem is the container I'm choosing to seal it in. I've been using the the plastic jugs that the distilled water or the spring water that I buy comes in, and I think there's too much oxygen permeability in that. Yeah. So that my next thing is to try to seal it up and actually vacuum seal it in you know in a in a glass jar and see if it lasts better a month. So I'm still in the experimenting process, uh, which is why I haven't fully documented part. I mean, and that's true. I mean, all of the other stuff is true too. That I'm a lot of talk and no action, but I'm still in the process of finalizing it. And everything, anything I would put out right now is just a here's what I've got so far. Mm-hmm. So and and I understand so, that you're okay with that generally, but that's where I am. So have you just done just glass? I mean, because I know stuff bought or stored in plastic long term tastes different. Right. If you were to buy like a Dr. Pepper out of a glass bottle and a Dr. Pepper out of a plastic bottle, the glass bottle tastes better. Right. And I think so. that all comes down to oxygen permeability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the oxygen, uh, you know, it oxidizes the, 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 uh, volatiles in the coffee and the volatiles are what actually make it taste good i've experimented with freezing it freezing uh doesn't seem to hurt the flavor at all and it does help preserve it but yes seth i think that you're onto that the tr- when i was doing small batches i could throw that in a one quart mason jar easily but when i'm making three gallons it's hard to to find you know enough freezer space or fridge space for that many glass bottles uh or or to find a large i, I would need like a wine making bottle with a cork in it and again you know cork has uh uh, gas oxygen permeability issues as well, which is why when you store wine, you've got to store it so that the cork gets wet. It seals that. Mm-hmm. So there's there are issues to that too, and they're all things that just slowly by uh, little by inches, I'm I'm working out the details on. I would say I haven't talked about it, but I'm still experimenting. I would say your glass option there is going to be the key. Um, I know friends of mine that do crate brewing for beer. Um, they did the same thing. They started doing it and they were storing in plastic, and it would go skunk on them, and they would. We're trying to figure out what it was. They switched to glass, and now they're not having the issues. So, I think you're yeah. you're, you're perfectly on point. Especially so what since- I'm looking for, though, is something that is lightweight and inexpensive, and not gas permeable. Yeah. Um, and soda bottles don't fit that. That and milk jug bottles don't fit that. And I don't. Maybe there isn't something. Maybe that's why wine is always sold in glass. Um, it makes sense. I don't know. And so is the no. You the can other buy stuff. the the wine in a box yeah <laughs> wine in a box but that's not going to be a 40 year old wine that's that's a young wine intended that's to be drink a month uh, wine. drink drink consumed uh, uh quickly right uh, so anyway yeah thanks you thank you for asking Stuart. um it's not just that i uh haven't gotten to it 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 really i mean that's part of it but it really is i'm still experimenting with the process uh, moving on, Mogens, and I apologize if that's not the way you pronounce it, but that's what I'm going at, uh, weighs in on the whole privacy versus sharing thing. Says, hi, Mark and Seth. 
Chris, you weren't here last week, yeah, so you don't get uh, a greeting. Mm. Thank you for a great podcast. I've been a listener for a couple of years, and I enjoy your show every time. I do. My name is Mogens, and I come from Denmark. I have some thoughts in relation to the share or not to share. I tried to analyze some cases from my own life. and I'm sorry. Are, I'm sorry. Denmark and to share or not to share. Guys, Come on. The melancholy Dane. Like yes. It just, I, I couldn't let it pass. Um, so, okay, you can continue now. Okay. So, um, I, from henceforth, I will refer to him as Hamlet. Uh, some, uh, some years ago, I had a job with a hot dog bar nearby. Sometimes after work, I grabbed a hot dog on my way home. I liked it. There was no problem with that. But as time passed, it became more and more often. And I don't mind anyone seeing me buying a hot dog, but I thought it would be some kind of embarrassing if someone knew that I did that every day, because then it would not just me be buying a, not just be me buying a hot dog, but me having a bad habit, degrading my social status or something like that. Which brings me to one of my points. The value of collection of my public data uh, may be much higher than the sum of the values of single data items. It's a risk versus value issue. If persons, if different persons observe me on different days, then there are no problems. I don't lose any value. If the same person, especially someone I know, had observed me every day, I would have lost some value, getting labeled a weak man with bad habits. Uh, I looked uh, to the risk exposing, excuse me, I took the risk exposing the information publicly, hoping that no one would see any value in gathering all the information and connect them. Uh, I don't, I think that... Sorry. I think we do that all the time. We measure what it would take uh, to take advantage of the information we expose and adjust privacy in relation to that. Why do I lock my door? It doesn't prevent anything, does it? Anyone could break a window and get in, but the lock is just enough to demotivate the thief as the value inside my house is not worth breaking a window. If I had a Mona Lisa hanging on the wall, I would need more security measures. So with private information, if I was a known person, the bad habit would have a much higher value than I would have, uh, and I would have to be more discreet. I hope you see my point. Uh, if I have, I have worse examples in the hot dog one, but I would not bring that up, that up on a popular podcast. But <laughs> best regards, happy podcasting, Mogans. Yeah. So why didn't you share them with us? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't <laughs> couldn't resist that one either. Apparently, my email reading muscle has atrophied over time. I stumbled my way all the way through that. Uh, I get your point, um, and it does. I mean, we we sort of talked about that. It all comes down to people connecting the dots. But you know, you what you're discussing is exactly what Seth and I discussed. That anybody could have done that. Uh, you were just taking the chance that they wouldn't. And in a technological world where everything is public, it becomes almost a given that they will. And so you have to decide, you may end up having to change your behaviors because your behaviors are going to be known. Um, I get that. Um, but I still think that by and large, the, the value of, of publishing, of making easy to access information that is already accessible, that, that's the key point for me. We're not going after secrets. We're not after going after things that are hard, that they're that unknowable already. We're, we're just making it easy to find things that are already knowable. Uh, and I get your point, but I just, I just think it's a, I, I think it's a weak sense of security to think that nobody's going to bother to take the time to track down whether or not you eat a hot dog. Because if, if they're not going to bother in person, I don't think they're going to bother technologically either. Well, see, and you did it yourself. You confuse security and privacy. Exactly. So, you know, you were making the argument uh, to shooting down all my points saying you can't confuse them. Well, you just confused them to support your argument there. 
Explain what they do. Well, you you taught you said it was weak security when it wasn't oh, security; okay. it was just privacy. All right, so you're picking on the fact that I used the word. Sorry, it's 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 a <laughs> weak it's a weak um assurance. I should say that then, because okay. I didn't I didn't mean security is in keeping you safe. Security is in feeling comfortable. So security blanket is okay. what I was thinking. Moving on, Miguel says that sharing can be bad. So I did ask you guys to weigh in and. So far, the weighing in has been against my viewpoints. That, that's not unusual to me, but it would be nice if somebody who agreed with me would say so. Uh, Miguel says, hi, first let me salute you guys. You make a really good podcast. I'm Miguel, a listener from Mexico. In the 200 podcast, you touched on the subject about why it's bad to share all your public information. And, I, and I'd like to make some points about that. Margu's... Mar- Mark was arguing to share everything that anyone can know and the benefits of that, first commodity and second cooperation. About that, I have to say that public information is the meta- metadata of a person. If you can pinpoint who's... Um and can if you can pinpoint who it is and can cross-reference those points, you'll get a lot of information about the poor, uh, person. And the scary part is, why uh, should someone that you know... This is difficult, and you'll understand why in a minute. Uh, why someone that you don't know should have access to who you are, the, the Seth's argument of trust. Uh, in this country, Mexico, thinking uh, different to the established government brings a lot of trouble. Uh, if someone expresses the way of thinking in a social network, it'll be marked as a bad element. I used to work for the federal government, nothing fancy, just agricultural subsidies. And there I got the instructions of denying the subsidies to people of different opinions and even got bit by the expressions of my discontent in a social network. This got to the point where I found myself working in a basement as a pot, nothing to do and having to spend eight hours lying there. It came to the point of poverty or submission. So I'm poor. Here are the, here the dissidents are hunted and no longer, uh, and, and not longer here the dissidents are hunted, hunted and no longer found unless they get lucky and someone finds the corpse. Oh, I got what he's saying there. Uh, by sharing all that data, what I do and where I go and who I relate with, you make it possible and scarily easy for someone unknown to your circle to find you and take you away without leaving any trace. That's the price of sharing so much. The solution will be to anonymize the information, but how to be sure it's correctly on- anonymized. Uh, if you need, you need trust for that. And it's pretty obvious that we trusted the wrong people in this country. This is the point for me, how to anonymize the information and be able to trust the system. Please excuse my bad English. I got it from Batman comics, Jackie Chan movies and a TRS 80 manual. So, uh, Miguel, your English is fine. It, it did make it a little difficult for me to stumble through the, the email, and that's my fault, not yours. If you can learn English from a Chinese man, you're better than I am. So, Seth, I'm going to let you first address his things because he pretty much agreed with no you. No kid. Yeah. Um, you know, it. it's not so much – I – and he's at the same point I am. I don't mind the data being out there. It's just to make sure that you can't relate that data to me. The example you made um, about going to the donut shop. I don't have any problem with them tracking an Android device and how long it was in there. But it doesn't need to be tied to my phone number or my user account or anything like that. You know, and he brings up a point. You know, we have the freedom uh, or at least the illusion of freedom in America to share and to have all this data out there without the fear of serious reprisals. Um, 
and what happens when reprisals come after they've already gathered all the data on you. So, you know, just because it's safe to do it today doesn't mean it's not safe to do it tomorrow and, uh, or it doesn't mean it will be safe to do it tomorrow. So, I mean, I, he's making, he's making a lot of the same points I did. He's probably making them better than I did well, though. You so. know, and I like the idea of hunted for and not found, which means they're, they've gone missing. Um, <laughs> right. And, and yes, it's true. Uh, tracking my cell phone position uh, can can give you that ability. But my point is you can already do that. If you carry a cell phone, whether it's a smartphone or not, it can be a burner phone. You can be triangulated and your position can be found within, you know, a couple of hundred meters at the most. Right. So sharing data doesn't make, doesn't change anything. So that's, that's where I think the, the, the key thing where we, uh, depart ways. So Miguel and Seth, you, you both, it comes down to trust for you. Can you trust the people with the data? Can you trust the people to know where you are? My assertion is that that horse is already out of the gate. It, there's there it doesn't matter whether you trust anybody or not it's already there it's already doable it it can be done without any special what whatever country you're in you don't need any special warrants or 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 anything you can just just do it i mean the us government can just ask the phone companies for your location they don't need a warrant to do that um and in mexico you know if 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 the government is is uh, uh so inclined to do that and they own the 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 companies and then they can do that too the the we wow i'm really st- stammering we've already passed that point you're trying to shove a genie back in the bottle that has already been out and is already out um yes it'll make it easier for non-government types but but the government types, the people you really need to fear can already do this. So I don't see where sharing it with the other people mm-hmm. makes any difference. And and again, my point always was, before you speak, Seth, disaggregated or, or aggregated anonymized data. That that I that's that's what I said all along. Your point, and I'm sure Miguel's, was this there's no way to promise that it's anonymized data and i agree there's no you you yourself set up an argument that cannot be breached you set a standard of having to prove a negative and i can never do that so by your own rules it can't happen so okay you you will never feel safe with this because you can never never prove a negative and you can never prove that you cannot be hacked well that kind of ends the argument so we have to set that aside to continue to have a discussion so having done that isn't there value in sharing that information, assuming it is anonymized and, and disaggregated? Because I don't, I don't need to know who's at the donut shop. I just need to know how many warm bodies are there. So you got to throw that aside. Throw aside the idea that they're going to find you because that's we can't have that discussion because you won't you won't meet me on a reasonable territory there. So we've got to throw that aside to be able to have the discussion. See, and the thing I don't mind if it's an opt-in. If I turn on, like, if I want to be known at that donut station, I download the app. And then I am saying, you know, track me when I go in here. I knowingly allow you to track everything I do. Well, what if you opt in shop. when you tell Google to, to, when you say you want to use Google Maps? That opt in already says, I've got to send information to Google to use this service. Is that okay? Or do you need to have, you have to opt in at every location along the way? 
if that's the case, well, that's just ridiculous. I've got to opt in a hundred thousand times a week everywhere I every time I move a foot. You know, I don't know the answer to that. I just, you know, your your thing that the genie's mostly out of the bottle. Let's just make the hole wider so he can come and go as he please. It's just, it's not a, I just don't like it. Like I say, I understand I'm the other end of the spectrum and it's not a, I've lost the argument. I know that I, the arguments over my, my side lost. And my only choice is to, you know, destroy my technology and go live in Yellowstone National Park. You have to opt out of modern existence. That's really what it takes. And there are people who do it. Richard M. Stallman opts out of modern existence pretty much um you can do that but richard m stallman also has a support group of people who are closely linked with modern society i wonder if he could do what he did without the staff around him who are all using their devices and and connecting um so i i think that to to be comfortable i don't want to use the word security because seth will will flame me for it <laughs> to be comfortable with it you really just have to to burn your technology yeah, you'd have to live off the grid because no matter what you do, be it cell phone, computer, um, any form of current technology has some form of tracking built into it. Um, even, you know, look at the cars nowadays. Even the cars are, are GPS ticked and, you know, no one f- freaks out about that until they get hacked. So, you know, Mark, I, 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 I embrace your thoughts, but I still wish that we had <laughs> Seth's thoughts, you know? Yeah. Because I know personally, I'm more open. I'm getting more open as the years go by, just because I mi- I'm missing pieces that I see, like my wife, love her to death. She is a public person. She puts out everything and anything is on is is available. If you if, if but she has her security set up, so only people that she allows to see it can see it. But she's still putting it out there, and then the stuff she gets back is richer than what I'm getting for using the same service like Google Now that you know she got I I was looking at her Google Now news feed you know because she gets the articles on the web thing I was never getting that and it was like wow I want to read all these articles but I'm not getting them how are you getting them and I'm not and it's because she's there is value to letting that information out but there is also risk and and it's up to us individually to decide whether to weigh weigh that risk. And what I think bothers Seth and Miguel is that more and more option, more and more often, that option is yep, taken away. It's defaulted to uh, if you want to use Gmail, you mm-hmm. will be tracked. You know, um, so I I feel your pain there. I do. I, I get yeah, it. I I embrace the. I I wish we had Seth where we could say no. This is securely stuff. We we don't want this out. But without it. You know, the life isn't as easy or as fun for some in most places. Yeah. Just come on time travel so I can go back to the Middle Ages. <laughs> I'm, I, that's what all I'm banking everything on that now. As soon as there's a viable Kickstarter plan, I'm back in that platinum level. Yeah. But the, you, you would so not like to live in the middle. I mean, dysentery. <laughs> no, is your I, best know, friend, I know. I right? know. Um, <laughs> That you want to live in the in the Middle Ages with a modern toilet and a and a and a Wi-Fi enabled laptop. Well, or at least you know a good water purifier, <laughs> a modern toilet and a good water purifier, and I'd probably be okay. 
Um, I we could spend probably another hour on this discussion. I know it's not over. We're going to get more feedback. I encourage that. I I like it when we have discussions that run for weeks or months at a time. So uh, keep it up. Um, but I wanted to jump to um, the next story. Sort of the the flip side of this uh, was an article or a lecture that was given um, at. Uh, uh, Help! I just blanked on it at the con. Black Hat. Thank you, the Black Hat Conference. But before we do that, I have to pay some bills, and let me do that by telling you about our friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com. If you want to get your certification, if you want to learn how to use this whole Linux thing, they will do that. That's their stated goal. Their job is to take you from being um, a Linux novice to a certifiable Linux administrator. That doesn't sound good. Um, and they do that, of course, in the way of their step-by-step video courses, the amazing lab infrastructure that they've built up, the community of people around them, this uh, vetted, um, certified, high-quality content, uh, the, the the PDF study guides if you're a paper person, the video if you're a visual person, the the, the lesson plan tracking, the the the, the ability to create your own custom syllabus uh, by telling them how much time you have to spend and when you have to spend it, and they will send you uh, a personalized learning plan. It's just amazing. They're growing all the time. They're they're expanding outside just the world of plain old Linux. They've got their open stock certif- open stack certification prep course. They've got a uh, uh, they're opening new courses on on different types of SQL administration. Um, they're just expanding all the time. Um, and you get all this amazingness. And and it's not just me saying it's amazing. Uh, I am echoing other people who say it's amazing. Professionals in the field. These these are videos by professionals for people who hope to be professionals. And I get feedback from listeners all the time saying, well, not all the time, but frequently saying, I tried the Linux Academy. You finally wore me down with your nine minute ads week after week. (laughs) And I tried it and I'm so glad I did. It was totally worth it. I I really do get a lot of those. And I've gotten a couple, just a couple of people saying, meh, it's overrated. It wasn't worth the money. Grumble, grumble. Okay, for me that actually is is not a negative. That's sort of you know you never you never really arrived until you got a few trolls. Um, so yeah, the fact that I get uh, troll emails from people about Linux Academy just serves to to show me that they're doing yeah. something right. Um, you get all this for the the most you're going to pay is twenty five bucks a month. So if you just want to pay one month, check it out. No no strings attached. Sign up for a month, uh, twenty five dollars find out you like it you want to stick around for a while you can save money by by uh buying in bulk if you buy three months a quarter uh of the year that's 65 dollars. there's a 10 dollar discount right off the top if you buy a a chunk of 12 months by annually it's 215 dollars annually which is just under 18 dollars a month it's just it's just chicken feed for what you're going to get it's high um high value at low cost and there's just, it's so rare to find that anywhere on the internet. Linuxacademy.com is where you can find that. And if you go to linuxacademy.com slash everyday Linux, you get a discount on those prices. Check them out. Let them know we sent you. You know, Mark, I want to weigh in here just because it's not quite long <laughs> enough yet. Um, and for, for somebody who says, you know, I don't need the Linux Academy. I can go my own way and I can get my own Linux learning on. Hey, you can do that. And there are a lot of resources on the internet. One of the ones I mentioned, the, um, intro Linux course at edX. It's a free, free, um, course that you can go through and it does a really good job of preparing you for the Linux Academy's level one certification. I don't remember the exact name of that, but a drawback of that free course that's out there 
is it was put up over a year ago and has not been updated. And the distros that they use to teach you have all of them have been replaced by newer versions. And some of the stuff that you learned, you can still do, but you do it a different way now. So if you're going to go your own way, you have to spend the extra time to make sure that what you're learning is current. Because who cares um, who cares how to join a Windows 3.1 machine to the internet? Really, <laughs> what good is that going to get you in today's society? But you could probably find that information online. You need to know something that's current and you let somebody kind of keep it current for you. And that's one of the ways that the Linux Academy excels in the value they provide. Now I want to jump on to the, the topic, which I think is a, a very good natural follow-up to the discussion we've been having about privacy, uh, but it's a whole different side to it. So um, uh, Jennifer Granick uh, was the one of the Black Hat keynote speakers uh, at, the, at this year's Black Hat conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, or maybe just last week, anyway, recently. Um, and she uh, had a, a, a keynote session. We're going to link to it where you can watch the video and there's an article about it, but I, I just had some, some takeaways from it that I wanted to talk about. And one of the, one of the interesting things that, that I, that she talked about is the fact that we're, we're, it is, it's not if we're going to have a regulated internet, it's when we're going to have a regulated internet. And, and one of the things that I've said myself is that it's impossible to regulate a global commodity like the internet because, um, there's not a global government there. You can't get governments to agree on anything. So how are they going to agree on regulating the internet? And she had a fascinating point about that. And that is that we're doing the job for them because when the internet began as ARPANET in, uh, in the sixties, after Sputnik was launched, um, the, the U S government decided we needed some bomb proof way to communicate because right now if you drop a bomb in on Langley, Virginia, we, all of our intelligence is gone. So that's how it all, the whole thing became with this ethos of distributedness and, and disconnectedness and um, decentralization. But we as users have taken this, this decentralized network and chosen to centralize our data. Let me give you some examples, some examples that you gave. Facebook, people don't post blogs mm -hmm. anymore like they used to. They just go to Facebook and Twitter. So personal publishing is now f pretty much owned by Facebook. Email. Yes, there are other clients out there, but Gmail pretty much wins. Internet mail is owned by Google in the form of Gmail. Search. Uh, Google owns yeah. search, certainly in most of the world, right? There are other search engines, but Google owns it. And if you censor it in Google, you censor it to the world. That doesn't mean that people can't go somewhere else and find it, but they won't. And they may not even know they have to, because if you hide it in Google, the vast majority of people across the uh, the world just won't know it's right. not there. Um, Android operating system. It's the most prolific operating system in the world with hundreds of millions of units, billions probably, of units in the hands of people. But it's one monolithic system. If you can regulate that, if you can own that, you own phones across the world. So we have taken this decentralized thing and centralized it on our own. So we are we are voluntarily giving up the value, the benefit of the decentralized internet. I thought that was a fascinating point I've never really thought about before and that's what made me think of of the line uh from Star Wars, this is how liberty dies with thunderous mm -hmm. applause. We are choosing, we are applauding Facebook 
for essentially owning uh, public communications and microblogging. Um, that's that's kind of a mind blowing thought to me. What do you guys think? Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's kind of a shocking when you think of it that way. That you know, if oh, I was just listening to someone else talk about the same same basic idea. Uh, where if it's gone from Google, it's pretty much gone, period, because no one else is going to, I mean, unless you're a super fanatic for that particular topic, you're not going to go searching anywhere else. You're going to go to Google or the default search engine, the, you know, the tyranny of the default and search for something. And if it doesn't show up, you're just going to be like, oh, it doesn't, it didn't happen or it didn't, it didn't exist. So it, it's scary that that's what's, that's very true what's going on. Yeah, if you use China's official search engine and search for Tiananmen Square, you find nothing about yep, protests. So if you grew up after that time and you trust the internet to tell you about it, you don't mm-hmm. know what happened. Um, how easy would it be? And you don't need a one-world government. You just need one government exerting pressure on Facebook or Google uh, or you know Microsoft, uh, and suddenly internet regulation has become a thing. Without a single uh, pen stroke being yep. written, Seth, what are your thoughts? No, I totally agree. It's because you know, it's there's almost so much stuff out there that I was um I was looking through a presentation and the uh, the title of the presentation I think was the safest place in the world to hide a dead body is page two of Google search results (laughs) because nobody's even going, you know, if it's not on the first page, are you going to click page two or are you going to try a different term? The overwhelming majority of people are going to try a different term to search rather than, you know, search through pages and pages of results. And, you know, it's kind of like, Hey, I can sell ice cream. I can cut my costs in half. If all I do is sell, you know, strawberry and i'm not going to sell anything else well you know you can't complain about i don't have the choice you have the choice to go somewhere else but what happens when every other ice cream place goes out of business because they can't compete the prices then you're left with strawberry and it's too late to complain and i mean that's a far out example i know but it's the same thing it's exactly what she's talking about you have you know yes you're free to go blog your heart away but you're not going to do it when nobody you're not going to you know, reach anybody yeah yeah it's just going to be the conspiracy theorist who would write it down in their notebooks anyway so this it's it's scary true what she's onto here and you know people don't care because they have facebook yep. so it doesn't matter what facebook does to them because hey at least they get to use it now well and the other thing that the other thing that I was gonna, okay. Go ahead, Chris. The other thing I was going to say is it's weird how the society has changed from, you know, you think that you're, we're more public with things nowadays, but honestly, we're in an echo chamber. Honestly, how much stuff do you actually share with people anymore? You know, the 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 gross majority of it is just the same small social circle, you know, that that you're, you know, echo chambering. Um, what was it? 10 years ago you know we had bulletin boards and, and forums of you know international level of of people communicating do you that doesn't exist anymore you know i went to one of my favorite boards back way back then it's a ghost town there's nothing there the boards still exist but there's nobody there 
Yeah, they're all on Twitter posting 140 mm-hmm. characters. Oh, yeah. Time. Either that or they're over on Facebook uh, with their small subset of friends that is all in their Facebook area. There is no, you know, global sharing of knowledge or, or thoughts or theories anymore. It's just kind of weird how we've gone from a global environment to now a small echo chamber of friends or pseudo friends. Well, it's gone from discussion to rhetoric. You you know, there isn't a discussion of, Hey, these are my ideas. What are your ideas? And let's talk about them. You're a Nazi. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, Um, but you know, we don't have discussion. We want people to argue, um, vehemently, vehemently, yeah, vehemently, um, the things that we might have, oh, I think I like this. So I'm going to find someone who just hits it hard on right. there and nobody cares anymore. That's the sad part. And, and there's, I mean, that, that lives outside of the online world too. I mean, you know, right. uh, an example that comes to my mind is, is Rush Limbaugh made millions of dollars and built a, a multi-decade career, uh, saying things that he knew people already agreed with. Um, and, you know, and he's not the only person, right? Every politician in the country and probably in the world um, has made their career saying loudly things that they know people already mm-hmm. agree with. Uh, and so we've just, you know, the Internet is reflecting that. But it's it's a distorted reflection. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, it, it's, you know, there's always the uh, argument, you know, that television is just a reflection of society. But you know the point nobody wants it's like a it's like a funhouse mirror reflection mm-hmm. it takes the aspects that it wants to and then it takes that little bit and gives that the wide angle and makes it look like everybody wants that and then the part that everybody agrees with that's the concave one that makes it appear small right. so and and we've talked about this before with with companies like Google and Facebook trying to to uh personalize your feed of information the the echo chamber just gets tighter around you, and before long, it's a nice, warm, fuzzy mm-hmm. cocoon because Facebook is only choosing to show you things that they know that you will like. You'll click, you click the like button, and so the things that you won't click the like button on, you're not going to see. Uh, and so that is a form of of regulation that goes that's not governmental, it's not ex, extracurricular, it's just it's our own natural human biases. And if you're uh, Facebook and you're job is to give people a more pleasant experience well what's the most pleasant experience everybody you know agreeing mm-hmm. with you uh so that's what that's what they try to give you they try to give you things you're only going to like because they're not their job isn't to show you dissident opinions their job isn't to show you the other side of things their job isn't to make you a well well-rounded person their job is to make you happy and make you spend more time on facebook so they are they're crafting your feed in such a way that it's a happy fun land with rainbows and unicorns and everybody there thinks exactly like you do and so why would you go anywhere exactly. else exactly and that you you know we get we get what we ask for uh, and some other points that uh, that uh, that weren't brought up in this uh, talk that Granick brought up, but some things that I thought of was um, uh, we're criminalizing the behaviors that used to be celebrated, right? So Google still famously has their um, uh, pwn to own mm-hmm. thing, and if you can crack our stuff, uh, we will pay you a bounty for it. Uh, recently, not too long ago, Cisco came out and said our new policy is going to be to prosecute people. 
who was it? No, it wasn't Cisco. Yes, yeah, Sun said that. Uh, said said we're going to prosecute people who who show us bugs because by showing us bugs you've demonstrated the fact that you've read our proprietary code and we don't allow you to read our code there's no way you could have found that bug if you weren't violating the agreement therefore we're not going to reward you we're going to prosecute you but please continue to send your ultra secure top secret information <laughs> over yep. our code and yes. trust us that we know everything to protect yeah. you yeah so yeah, ugh. It makes just, you feel sick inside a little. Get off my lawn. You know, yeah, that's, I just. And that's the kind of thing that we don't, world. we don't need a one world government. We don't need, uh, you know, the, the Antichrist to rise up and bring all the world under his power before that can happen. All we need is a few powerful companies making the same decision, even independently. They don't have to collude on mm-hmm. it. They can independently make the same decision. And boom, the internet's regulated, not because the device is broken, not because the mechanism doesn't allow for decentralization, but because human nature is to crowd around things. It's, uh, you know, we, we like that hive mentality. We like living in, in the, you know, a connected world. And so we all go, everybody goes where everybody goes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's my space. Ask what happens when, when it's not suddenly the place that everybody goes. Uh, ask, you know, uh, dig what happens when it's not the place where everybody goes. Everybody goes where everybody goes. And so we are voluntarily destroying the liberty that the Internet was created mm-hmm. to provide us. And it's sickening inside a little. I mean, it, it just drives me nuts when I see it. But, you know, we're only a couple of guys or, you know, in a couple, the the element, elemental, you know, element strong, but. It's going to take a, a mountain to change this type of a process right now. I don't know that you can. I think you think it's too late. I think what we're seeing, well, it's not. It's not about too late. It's about it's about humanity. Well, right. And, and I I firmly believe that that the internet reflects humanity, the good and the bad of it. Um, and just like prior to the internet, you know, books, the library. Of, of available information in the form of books reflected humanity, the good and bad. There was the great works and there was the kiddie mm-hmm. porn. Uh, and they were published on paper instead of online. And it reflected humanity. And what do, what are most people's libraries consist of? Libraries, kids, those, that's a collection of books. Uh, and it was not uncommon back in the old days, uh, when your grandpappy <laughs> was young to actually own your own books. You didn't, you didn't have them, uh, leased to you on a Kindle device. You actually would go and buy the book. What does everybody's library consist of? Stuff they yeah. already agree with. Stuff that makes them happy. Stuff that makes them warm and fuzzy. So we're just digitizing human nature. Yeah. And, and folks, when I get to my new house, there'll be a library behind me of stuff that I'm buying and putting up. So yay me. <laughs> I can have a library again. But yeah. And you're not going to walk over and point at this section of books over here is crap I totally don't agree with. But I went and bought it and I read it and I made sure I understood it because it was important to to understand dissenting opinions. You're not, you're not going to do that. Nope. Nobody does that. No one does because no one cares to. Maybe we should start it. <laughs> and one of my one of my favorite TV shows uh, in the late 90s was called Sports Night. It was one of Aaron Sorkin's first uh, uh, 
bits in TV. It only lasted two seasons, but they were two stellar seasons, in my opinion. And one of my favorite lines of any fictional character ever uh, was from one of the characters there. I- Isaac Jaffe was his name. He said, "There's there's a couple of things I know in this world. If you're if you're dumb, surround yourself with smart people. If you're smart, surround yourself with smart people who mm-hmm. disagree with you." And I love that line because we don't do that. Dumb people surround themselves or with dumber. dumb people. And smart people surround themselves with people mm-hmm. who agree with them. And it's hard. It is so difficult as a human being to intentionally go out and surround yourself with people who disagree with you. But it's also one of the most important things for the race of humanity that we can do to understand people who disagree with you. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to spend time with somebody to such to the point that, that you now agree with them. You have to understand people who think differently than you. Because that's how we grow as people, as 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 enlightened mm-hmm. beings. The, the, we cannot continue when all we do is feed our own egos and feed our own uh, things that we already agree with, and 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 wrap ourselves in the warm, fluffy cocoon. And technology, understanding and owing to the human nature, and trying to make a buck off of people, is intentionally and and ever increasingly trying to wrap ourselves in a cocoon of of the echo chamber. And everybody who's ever been on Twitter will eventually find out that they're in mm-hmm. an echo chamber. And it's not because of Twitter. It's because of who you chose to follow. Unless you're stupid like me and followed everybody. <laughs> well, then yeah, it's just it, noise. It's, it's almost unusable at my at this point for me because it, it's... Uh, it became unusable for me a long time ago. Huh. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not on Twitter anymore. It's not. I still have an account. I just. I gave up on it. Um, not because anything Twitter did. Well, actually, it is because of what Twitter did. They they broke off clients and said there's no mm-hmm. such thing as a a combination Twitter slash Facebook client anymore. So they forced me to choose on the the real estate of my phone screen which one I would pick. I picked Facebook because that's where mm-hmm. my people are. But when I was active on Twitter, I was in. I intentionally followed people who I disagreed with every tweet they ever said because it was important for me. You know, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, um, Hunt for Red October when uh, the uh, the Russian, Ramius, uh, speaks English. Uh, Jack Ryan says, you speak English, and, and he says, it's wise to learn the language mm-hmm. of one's enemy. That's why I follow people who disagree with me because it's lie. It's wise to learn the language of one's enemy, and uh, and uh, and you know what? Sometimes I find that they're right and I'm wrong, and I can't be wrong. So as soon as I find out I'm wrong, I change my opinions <laughs> that I'm right. <laughs> and that's that's a good thing, I think. I think you should always strive to be right. And when you find that you're completely wrong, change the way you think. Don't stead. Don't be steadfast in your wrongness, because then you're just an idiot. <laughs> and that's the definition of one. That's that you've stumbled on there. That's one of my guiding principles of life is to always be right. And when I am convinced that I am wrong, I will change my way of thinking so that I can be right. What, uh, somebody in my family once said to me, you just always think you're right, don't you? Well, of course I do. So do you. Do you get up in the morning and get in your car and turn left knowing that it's the wrong no, thing to do? No one does. Of course not. You turn right because you want to be right. Everything you do in your life, you do because you think you're right. You don't set out to say, oh, this is totally wrong and a stupid thing to do, and I'm really going to uh, regret having done this, so let's go. Well, sometimes. Um, because you think at the time, <laughs> it's, no, no, you see, that's that's what everybody says. So you might be talking about, you know, I'm going to break my diet or whatever. But in that moment, you've decided it's more right to eat the yeah. cupcake. Moment by moment, you do what you think is right. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody does. That's how we live our lives. So, yeah, I think I'm right all the time. So do you. I'm just open enough to admit it. Well, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has their point. Point. But then you then that opens up the whole philosophical question of what's right. So that that'll be on uh philosophy, <laughs> everyday philosophy next week. So how to determine what's right and what's truth. So to get back to the the sort of question at hand, is it right to pers- to prosecute hackers to the full extent of the law? Should we have laws against hacking? That's a tough call. Or or do we need them? Does our society need them? I think you need laws against hacking, but if I, if I am going to use a product, I should be able to determine is that product secure? So if I'm going to use your services, then I should have the right to test your services to see if they are going to meet my needs. And that would technically be hacking. But that should fall under fair use because it's like, I'm not going to trust you with my intellectual property if you can't demonstrate that you can secure my intellectual property. But see, if we take that into the physical world, if I walk onto your property uninvited, that's against yep. the law in pretty much every country. Right. Um, I, I don't have to break into your house. I don't have to tech your. You could leave your doors unlocked. I have broken the law by by walking onto your property. Uh but so why why is it not okay to have those same laws in in the technology world? Why why isn't Sun right by saying once you've looked at our code, you have walked onto our property uninvited, you're a trespasser, you're you're you should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. See the point is they're not wrong. But it's also the the white hat hacker is doing us all a favor. He's not wrong either. And it's frustrating, right? Because you got two people who are who are both morally and ethically right, and following the laws, and 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 have have both might and right on their side, and they yep. disagree with each other. And it, yeah, exactly, because if we didn't have them, you know, like what would happen if Snowden wouldn't have done what he did? You know, granted that you know some of the things he did, I don't agree with, but without it, we wouldn't have known the level of of you know. Of spying that the, our own company or our own government's doing on us, but so I would, to answer that, I would ask this: What has knowing done for us? It hasn't has it helped, except for exactly. the only thing it's done is shown that you know the people with the tinfoil hats were probably more right than wrong. So, yeah. So did Snowden do us no. any favors? Has anything changed? Has he changed the no, world he hasn't. in any way? Other other than one could say not yet. Okay, not yet. yeah. Okay. I'll I'll. I'll bow to the yet because of the simple fact that we don't know what's going to happen in five years. Cause that's what, in my opinion, that's where we'll see changes being done in five, five to 10 years as people that have gone from, you know, under voting age to voting age and, you know, actually have some clout to be able to change. Cause now you have the, the older generations that are full, that are, are rolling down, you know, they're, they're getting older and the, the younger kid, the, the, the younger generation X, Y, whatever are starting to get to the point where we can make changes and it's not going to happen for another five to 10 years. But even, even out of the spying arena and the governmental arena, let's take it to the open source community, right? The, the, the source code 
for Linux mm-hmm. is open, but it's also protected. You can't do whatever you want to with it. You can read it, you can look at it, you can modify it, but there once you've modified it, there are things you have to do. You have to you have to share mm-hmm. those modifications. If you're if you're going to sell the product, you have to include the source code with it. So even it in the the wild wide west uh, wild wild west world of of uh, open source, there are rules, and you know and and the the white hat hacker breaks those rules for quote unquote the good the mm-hmm. common good, right? I am I am doing something illegal and against the license. I'm I checked a box that said I wouldn't do this. Now I'm going to go do it because, quote-unquote, greater good. Well, we don't know the greater good. We don't know, you know, to go back to Snowden, we don't know if any greater good came from that. We don't know if any greater good has come from uh, much of the things that these these white hat hero on a white horse hackers have done. But we do know they've broken the law or at the very least violated Mm -hmm. agreements. We know that for sure. Right. But without them, I mean, the it's the point of, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I mean, is Chrome a better web browser because of Pwn to Own? Yes. Is every person at Pwn to Own a criminal? Technically, yes. yes. If you follow the letter of the law, yeah, they all are. But it's showing, but it, it's the fact that they're not exploiting it for nefarious purposes that it's. I would say is the line that they that they're li- that they're running upon, and I'm sure people in that field, I'm sure some of them fall the wrong side and they fall off the ladder or they fall off the line and go down the wrong path. But that is what happens on the bleeding edge of technology. Seth, I can see the gears running behind your eyes. What are you thinking? You know, I. Again, it comes back to that penetration testing is super valuable because it makes, it makes more secure. I mean, in one sense, it's good because it raises the level of security. It, you know, it breeds a smarter criminal. It breeds a smarter security professional. It's the, uh, the nuclear arms race of cybersecurity. You, you need that because the the problem with anything with the designers when they look at something they see the intent behind it and they don't nec- and the intent behind it isn't always what actually came out hey i wanted my thing to do this and so when i look at the code i see it does that but somebody else who says what does this code do goes hey it does that but it also does these four other things that are bad and so you have to have if you want to be secure you have to have people outside the development process looking at the work otherwise it's just it's no good and you know I, I guess a company has a right to say that, but, you know, unfortunately, we're the problem, you know, then I don't know, hey, the company that I use to store data, I don't know that they bought those routers, so I'm having to trust them to, so, I don't know, it's just, it's just, I'm ready to move to Montana and uh, cut all ties with my society. Don't come to the dark side <laughs> or Southern Canada. Just, you know, get a cabins in the woods, you and Ted Kaczynski just hanging out, roasting See? marshmallows. There you go. Something like that. Seeing get off my lawn in perfect unison. It's uh, like so many things that I like to talk about. There are no 
there are no answers. There are right. no right or wrong. Everybody's right and everybody's wrong. And and you can make arguments either way. I think the important thing is that we have these discussions and that we as as consumers be educated, right? So this audience is definitely the top of the line and educated consumers. They they know what they're getting into, whether it when whether it's Windows or, or Linux or Mac or or an iPhone or, or an Android phone, they are making educated decisions. But our audience is only a few thousand people strong, right? There's seven billion people on the planet, um, and you know I, I I'm going to say what five percent or less of those people are actually paying mm-hmm. attention. Ninety five percent of the world hasn't even asked the questions, hasn't even had the discussions, hasn't even thought about the the morality of of hacking versus you know uh, penetration testing versus uh, a company just telling you trust us um you know we trust our governments because we don't have a choice they have the guns and they have the mm-hmm. money and they make the rules and so we have no choice and they make the rules them. right so they, yeah they get to tell you what is right and wrong and you know, and we we here in our uh, in our country we like to say that we're a democracy. We're not. We like to say that we're a republic. We like to say that the people have control. We don't. As I've said many times, we more or less choose who gets to go there through a heavily filtered list of choices. Mm-hmm. Watch the Republican primaries right now, and you get to see how that process is guiding one or two people through it. Um, we don't actually have a choice in the matter. By the time. It comes to the general election, the choice will have been made. Um, and so then we have, you know, uh, a choice between, you know, milk toast number one or milk <laughs> toast number two. Uh, and, and the whole system is designed that way. So yes, we on paper have a say. We don't. And once we elect these people that we didn't have a say in electing, once they get there, they can literally do whatever the heck they want. That's the way our government is built. So. It does. Was the NSA spying on us? Absolutely. Do they have a charter for spying on U.S. citizens? Absolutely not. Is that ever going to stop them? Absolutely not. Snowden made these revelations and said, this is what your government is doing. And the government went, yeah, yeah, we're kind of doing that. And they're still doing it. And they will do it. Nothing and they will matters. keep doing it. Because it yeah. gives them fodder to show that, you know, hey, that Johnny down the street is doing something illegal or possibly illegal. Right. There's no, and that's that morality line that everyone mistakens with um, legalities. So, yeah. But so why do we put up with that? Because, you know, go to Greece and see how things are going there right now. You know, having a strong government that uh, that can make all the rules creates a pretty stable environment. Having a chaotic government or no government creates a chaotic environment. and And most of us... You know, the the fat, comfy guys like me, I'm going to choose stability over instability, even if that means that I have to put up with the fact that, that people I have to trust are doing untrustworthy things. This is how liberty dies, to thunderous mm-hmm. applause. Yeah. You really can't say it any better than that. And and how does the frog die? One degree That's at a right. time. And yes. the next thing you know, it it jumped into this nice, cozy pot, and then the next thing, it's boiled to death. That's been totally disproven, by the way. It was a, there was a fascinating article about a guy who took like a hundred frogs and tried to cook them one degree at a time. Every one of them jumped out of the pot when it got hot. But it's still a neat analogy yeah. that we like to use. Yeah. This How dare you wrote, bring truth yeah. into our discussion? There is no place for you on today's internet, sir. I read the paper. It was like a uh, an MIT or some engineering thesis that this guy wrote. I've always heard 
that you can boil a frog. So he got a whole bunch of frogs and a whole bunch of pots of water and documented his methods and totally huh, busted. That's it. interesting. Yeah, he said if you want to cook a frog, you got to put a lid on the pot. <laughs> well, that kind of makes that point very, very well. So I think this was a great discussion. Um, of course, we didn't have any. Answers, we never do, but. <laughs> we we need to be having you you listening to this podcast. You need to go have this discussion with the people in your your sphere of influence. You need to go talk to your your sister and your mom and your aunt and your cousin and these people who are who aren't paying attention. And you need to to get them to understand that they are like I've used the word so many times. They're creating a cocoon around themselves that is going to become their tomb. We're all doing it. I'm doing it too. The cocoon is warm and fuzzy until it cuts off the air and mm-hmm. becomes your tomb. And we're voluntarily giving away our liberty because it's comfortable and warm and soft. Inside. And it's about the children. <laughs> it's for the children. So, Seth, we need a little his- historical perspective right now. What happened this week in history? Okay, this week we're going Linux Sweet. heavy on the podcast. Uh, we're saying happy birthday to Gnome. The Gnome Project was founded by Miguel de Acaza um, I mean, and Federico Mina back on August 15th, 1997. Wow. So the Gnome desktop, yay. No. Is. <laughs> what is that? What? There would be no KDE without Gnome, Chris. I know. There would be no light if there was no dark, but man, I just can't stand Gnome. I, I've even I, I even gave it so much try. I, I tried so hard to like it, and I just I can't. I am a daily gnome user. I I embrace the gnomes. And actually, the Linux uh, intro Linux course they use the gnome desktop for just for the sake of uniformity in their um, testing and presentation and experiment or uh, mm-hmm. training. That's the word I was looking for. And to think five, six years ago, it was KDE was the default desktop for most of that stuff. So lest we ruin our reputation as the best Windows podcast on the internet, <laughs> Seth, what do you have this week as your link of the week? Okay, well, this week I just ran across this, so I thought I would throw it out there. Uh, just learn Linux 101. This is from IBM.com. It's a roadmap to earn the LPIC level one. And it's a work in progress. Some of them are like coming soon type stuff. So anyway, uh, went serious this time. I couldn't find a good funny link. So more serious Linux content on the, uh, not quite Linux podcast. Yeah. We actually had a, uh, an email from some guy. I've already forgotten your name, troll. Um, who said something to the effect of, you know, we, we should change the name to, uh, everyday Linux, except when we're on our Windows laptops. Um, you know, we're we're honest about the fact that we live in the real world, and real world people use Windows, right? Um, well, so anyway, you know, for, uh, for, and, and we let, let's we give have, the troll let, let's give the troll ahead. some help here, though. Honestly, I am a everyday Linux user for every except for at work. Otherwise, I am a hundred percent Linux. Oh, I'm not 100% Linux, but I got yeah. it all over the house. Um, the only time I can't be Linux is when I play my Windows-only games, but that's dual-booted. But my I stay in Linux 99.9% of the time. 
And on a different side of the of the the Linux note, I remembered and I got called out on. Uh, I don't remember which show it was, Mark, but you pointed out that I haven't done my my two test desktops distros that we we got I got told to take a look at. Oh yeah. Um, I'm virtualizing one of them right now, and until I have the second one built into the test laptop, so soon I will have some reviews for everybody. Some distro reviews. And good. Honestly, that it, it's not much different than all the other distros. <laughs> That's exactly what it is because the question is, is it running GNOME yep. or KDE? And once you've got that, it's a KDE mm-hmm. Linux box. <laughs> what difference Pretty does much. it make what it is? Pretty right. much. Yeah, that's uh, our distro reviews have become five-minute little time filler segments because there's no real glaring weaknesses parody. in any of them. You know what? You just got, you know, this one has pretty icons. And that one has a pretty package manager. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of there, there isn't. Uh, that's the anymore. And if anyone says there's a big difference between a dish from one distro to the other, chances are they're nitpicking. Because from all of my testing, and I've done just about every distro on the planet now, at least for a week. Um, that's I know. Clean. I you know that that's the funny thing is, is thanks to virtualization, I've at least installed. Everyone on Distro Watch is top twenty at least once. Uh, okay, well, because there's only that's a big that only, but, yeah, that only leaves about a thousand. Yeah, distros but how many left, of them? How many of them so. can you actually still get? Yeah, and and a lot of them are just derivatives of this is an Ubuntu with yeah. a different theme. So now, if you right. take all those down, you're probably closer to a small subset of the numbers. But I've ran all of the big, I don't know, say big twenty. At least a week, if not longer, you know, in, in probably the last couple of years since we started this show. And I've got to say, I'm liking the latest Fedora. 22 so, is awesome. Um, I will say it's, it's really good. I've been, I've been using that. Um, I've, of course, I downloaded virtual box, but I'm using box, um, box yep. on it. It's, it's virtualizing. Uh, and there's some things I don't like about it, but, um, it's really cool. So, well, I'll have to do my distro review. Well, and we'll, maybe one of these shows when I'm further along in my Linux course, we'll do a, It'll be like a Seth. Seth has actually used Linux for a while. So, <laughs> so, so uh, if anyone has never heard of Box, I guess I won't. I want to point that out for a second. Box is just a pretty front end for KVM, for the KVM virtualizing system. Uh, in, and KVM needed it. A did. It, it did. Um, I just wish it was more not GNOME centric, if that makes sense. Um, I still default to virtual, to virtual box because uh, I can cross platform the images easier. But yeah, KVM is the only way to go if you're going to stay in a virtualized Linux environment. Okay. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Send us a nicely formatted email there there that gets priority in my inbox. Send an email directly from your own uh, command line bat client uh, <laughs> to, at ed, to edl at elementopi.com. Or if you would like to have your voice right alongside mine in your own dulcet tones, you can leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice account at 559 Uh and we will play it on the air and maybe 
comment on you, maybe ridicule you, but you know, I'm pretty much sure that we're going to play it. Uh, so we, uh, we appreciate your feedback. We really do. Um, we've, we've got, we're kind of on a roll for the next few weeks. We've got actual content that's, it's rare <laughs> that we, we pre-roll have content stacked yeah. up for a few weeks in advance. But, uh, a lot of the times we just come in here and wing it, but, uh, you know, we're honest about the fact that we're winging it and you seem to like it. But let us know what you think. Uh, you know, the last two weeks, we've had some pretty heavy topics there. And it's been, you've heard my opinion, you've heard Seth's opinion, you've heard Chris's opinion. What is your opinion? We want to hear you. And if, if you think an email is not good enough and you want to come on the show and, you know, have some time with us, you know, we will certainly entertain that. So uh, we, we love hearing from you. Uh, com is our website. Go there feedback to us. Don't forget about the forums that are there. I don't talk about that nearly enough. But we have, you know, our use our, our community there. Uh, we have the bad movie forums where they live and, and all its glory. Uh, we have uh, we have the Get to Know Us forum. And, and of course, we have the, the community help desk. If you have a question, if you have a, a problem, you can post that there. And our guys are pretty good. It's a small group, but it's a, a, a um, committed group. group. So uh, we encourage you to go check it out, com. I know forums are sort of passe in the world today, but they're still kind of the best way to have a conversation between a large group of people online. Yeah. So thank you for listening to the show. Chris, Seth, thank you for being here with us and, and for the great content and the and the, the sharp minds that you have. Chris, congratulations on being a homeowner and my condolences on being a homeowner. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> We look forward to uh, hearing more about it next week. But for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.